Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, help us to hear what you are saying to us as individuals and to us as a church this morning by your spirit. Would you break in? Would you reveal your glory, we pray? We ask this and we trust that you can and you will do this. Be with us now as we open your scriptures. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to open a Bible, your Bible or the Pew Bible, to Mark chapter 9. It's on page 793 of the Pew Bible. We're going to start in Mark's gospel and then I'm going to pivot towards uh, Peter's second letter to 2 Peter towards the end. But open up to Mark chapter 9. So traditionally, traditionally, the Feast of the Transfiguration, it always falls on August 6th. So if you look in the back of your prayer book, August 6th every year is the Feast of the Transfiguration. But because that feast day doesn't always fall on a Sunday, nobody talks about it often. Um, this last year, this last year, we actually had the Feast of the Transfiguration, because August 6th fell on a Sunday, and so it took precedent over whatever that Sunday was. And so uh, we heard a sermon on the Transfiguration, but for a lot of us, even in sort of liturgical or Anglican worlds, the Transfiguration is something that doesn't get talked about, maybe once a year, but actually it was sort of lost. And so uh, the last Sunday of Epiphany, which is this Sunday, the last Sunday we're going to have green for a little while, um, we, we also are making that Transfiguration Sunday. So every year, at least once a year on Transfiguration Sunday, we are going to look to the Transfiguration, to this event that we heard in the Gospels. And sometimes on August 6th, we get a double dose of the Transfiguration. So that's what we're doing here today, Transfiguration Sunday. So if you're, if you're like me or like anyone else who's been in the church for a while and you've never heard a sermon on the Transfiguration, that's okay. That's usually where most of us are. So last year, August 6th, happened to fall on a Sunday, like I said. And so I, uh, if you want to hear about some really good theological reflection on the Transfiguration itself, I encourage you to go listen to Logan's sermon. Uh, this is the third sermon that I preached on the Transfiguration, and all of my sermons are not as good as Logan's sermon from last year. So Watch that sermon online if you want to get into some sort of very specific to the Transfiguration uh, itself applications. From the early 2nd century, from the early 2nd century, and this goes back to Papias, um, and really univocally, so all of the early church and all the early church fathers, uh, we know that the Gospel of Mark was, Mark was a disciple, that he was a disciple of Paul and Barnabas and Peter, and that Peter, and specifically all of his sermons, so he was there where he's preaching all the time, all these conversations that Mark had offline with him, all these sort of eyewitness conversations, uh, this was, Peter's testimony was the primary source for Mark's gospel. It's, it's true. It's all over the early church. It's about as solid of a fact as we can have, okay? And so, uh, Mark chapter 8 and chapter 9, turning our attention to these two chapters, the consistency of the order 
of all three accounts that we have of the transfiguration. So whether we're talking about Mark or Matthew and Luke, so those are the three accounts we have of the transfiguration. Neither Mark or Matthew or Luke were there. None of them were there. Who was on the mountain with him? It was James and John and who? Peter. We've heard that this morning. Peter was there, and so it makes sense that Sometimes there's discrepancies in the way people recount different stories, but there's really no discrepancy with the transfiguration. Whether we're talking about Mark or Matthew or Luke, all of them have the same testimony, and it's Peter's testimony about what happened on the mountain on that day. So in all three Gospels, if you're looking at Mark chapter 8, the the account of this Uh, this scene in Mark chapter 9 is preceded by three of the same things, and all three of them. So verse 29 of chapter 8, looking back a little bit earlier, first, and we're familiar with this story, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. This is that classic text, you are the Christ, you are the Christ. It's awesome. Uh, And that's in all three gospel accounts. Next, just following Peter's confession in verse 31, and this is, in all the, the three synoptic Gospels, this is the first of three times where Jesus tells his disciples explicitly, I am going to be, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified, or I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to raise again on the third day. So it goes, it goes from the confession of Peter, and then it goes to this son of man. This son of man is going to be He's going to be crucified and rise again on the third day. It brings in this language of the Son of Man. Okay, so that's the second part. Then right before, right before our reading, right before we come to this Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus invites Peter and James and John to go up with him. They don't know why, but they're going up with him. Right before it, in all three of these Gospels, here in verse 34, Jesus tells his disciples, you too must pick up your cross and follow me. So all of those things I think we're pretty comfortable with, all these precursors to the transfiguration. Pick up your cross and follow me. Lose your life, Jesus says, for this gospel, for the gospel, and your life will be saved. If you lose your life, you'll gain your life. Give up the world. Don't seek after the world and save your soul. And save your soul. We're, we're familiar with this. So this is right before they come to the mountain. Verse 38 of chapter 8. For whoever, whoever, Jesus says, is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father. So this is a lot of buildup. There's a lot of big text building up to this scene. Confession. The glory of the cross that Jesus is anticipating and the call to follow Jesus in the way of the cross. Confession, the cross, anticipating the cross, and follow me in the way of the cross. This is all building up as they go up this mountain and the glory of the Son of Man is unveiled in a shocking way. It's unveiled before Peter and James and John, the exalted Son of the Father who has come from the Father They get a glimpse. They get a glimpse of him, if only for a moment, and they see him in the fullness of glory. They see his glory sort of unveiled for a moment, and then they hear from the cloud and from the heavens, this is my beloved son. 
This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is the scene. And after they come down the mountain, in verse 9, Jesus charged Peter and James and John not to tell anyone that they, what they just witnessed, as if they would even be able to explain what they just witnessed. They don't even know. And he says, don't do this until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so this language is repeated of the Son of Man. This points back earlier to Peter's confession just in chapter 8, which we just rehearsed, where Jesus strictly charged the disciples not to say this out loud. Jesus says, you are the Christ. I don't want you walking around right now telling everyone that I am the king, that the Messiah has come. Don't say it. Not yet. Not yet. So all of this is tied together. So following this story, two more times, Jesus will tell his disciples that he must suffer and die, and then be resurrected to life on the third day. And after all of this, after all of this, after this threefold repetition, this is where I'm going. I'm going to a cross, guys. I'm going to a cross. He says this three times after this climactic scene of transfiguration, at least for Peter and for James and for John, at least for those three. After all of this, Peter, he will shut his mouth. He's going to shut his mouth, which is surprising for Peter, if you guys know. He won't tell anyone that Jesus is king, but it's not because of his obedience to Jesus' command. Jesus says, don't say it yet, don't say it yet. He shuts his mouth, but not out of obedience. It's because he was afraid. He was afraid in the rest of the gospel. He's terrified. He's deeply ashamed that he's afraid. So before the death of Jesus upon the cross three times, we're familiar with this, Peter is ashamed to not only confess that Jesus is king, he's, he's ashamed to even acknowledge that he knows Jesus. This is how the story continues. After all of this, he denies his king and he is ashamed. Now, after Jesus was crowned with glory and crucified and died upon the mountain of Calvary, after Jesus rose again from the dead with, I can imagine, Peter with so much fear, and the disciples are said to be afraid over and over again after the resurrection, with fear, but also mixed with incredible excitement because Peter comes running he comes running to the empty tomb. He runs to Jesus. So he's both afraid and excited, right? You've been in that place before. He witnessed Jesus again, the glory of Jesus now on display. Not a glimpse this time, though. Not a glimpse like he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. In that moment, the glory of God in Christ was just beginning to make sense to him. So looking back to the transfiguration, as he sees the Lord risen Jesus, he, 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 I think he can remember that blinding glory that he saw of his king, of Jesus the king at his transfiguration. And that glory, and we, we heard this in our reading from 2 Peter this morning, is like a morning star that he witnessed on that holy mountain. This is his language. It was beginning to rise in his heart. He's beginning to understand, what did I just see on this mountain of transfiguration? 
And it's bringing more clarity also to what he witnessed on the mountain of Calvary. He witnessed Jesus crowned in glory, but this time he was crowned with a crown of thorns. Instead of unapproachable light and blinding glory like it was the first time, at Calvary it was all darkness and bloody glory. His glory was veiled on that day. He didn't see in the dark, but then resurrection dawned. Then it dawned. The glory of the cross was beginning to rise like the sun in his heart, in his very heart. So now Peter, he touches his risen king. He touches him again. He ate with him again, more than just a glimpse They laughed and they talked again, and he witnessed Jesus, his king, in the fullness of his resurrected glory. And here's the the resurrected glory. It's more glorious, and in, in so many ways, it's more blinding than the transfiguration. So he gets more than a glimpse of that, but now he has holes in his hands. He's got a a hole in his side, and so we see these two mountains, the mountain of the transfiguration and the mountain of Calvary, of his cross coming together in the resurrection, and he's like, I'm getting it. I'm starting to get it just a little bit. It's rising in my heart. I'm getting what your glory means just a little bit. Now, I haven't mentioned John's gospel at all, and I just want to say something really quickly about John's gospel. He doesn't tell the transfiguration story, but at the end of John's gospel, he tells about a conversation that Peter had with the risen Lord Jesus, and I kind of think of it as a sort of resurrection transfiguration story for Peter. So three times at this, in this telling for John, he says, follow me and tend my sheep. So three times I'm going to talk about my cross that's coming. Three times Peter is going to deny Jesus. And now at the resurrection, three times I'm going to tell you, Peter, follow me, tend my sheep, follow me, tend my sheep. I think Peter doesn't get things very quickly. He's like me. He needs a little bit of repetition like a, like a toddler. Okay. So Jesus tells Peter, though, in that story, And if you remember this from John, end of John's gospel, how he was going to die. How he's going to die, okay? So there's a lot of things coming together, and he says specifically in John's gospel, you will die with your arms outstretched. That's what he says. You're going to die with your arms outstretched. So hear this again from his second letter, Peter's second letter from our reading this morning. Peter writes to the church and to us this morning, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. He made it clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is what he says at the beginning of our reading from Second Peter. Once he was ashamed. Once he was an ashamed sinner. And now Paul, at the end of his life, is a glorious saint. That's a big, that's a big, that's a big move for him. 
It's a big ending to the story. So if you, if you think about 1 Peter, a lot of us are probably more familiar with his first letter. St. Peter wrote in his first letter about how to endure suffering. And I like to think about his first letter as an extended meditation upon the glory of the cross. So he's, he's trying to write a letter to people who are, who are participating and they're, they're being beat down and they're suffering in this life. And he says, look at Jesus on the cross. Look at the glory of the cross. And this second letter, he turns his attention to the glory of the transfiguration. He turns his attention, I like to think, from the glory of the cross, and he's been able to tie it together with the glory of the transfiguration, and they're coming together. And so I want to, I want to summarize this letter by way of recall, by way of reminder, this second letter to Peter. How did he get how did he get from shame to glory? How, how did he get from this place of being so ashamed that he didn't want to even deny that he, he denied that he knew Jesus to a little girl to being so glorious, so glorious and so confident even as he's coming to his death? Even as he's coming to his death, how did he get there? I think Second Peter helps us, and so... Uh, if you'll forgive me, this is sort of like my Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrase of Second Peter. Peter writes to us this morning, After the glory of Jesus' resurrection, the glory of God was just beginning to dawn in my heart. I was just starting to get what it was all about. I was an eyewitness of his majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration. And James and John and I went up on that mountain and it freaked us out. We were terrified. It, it was a great moment. I don't, I don't have like fearful memories of that event. It was great. And even so much so that I wanted to set up tents so it would go on forever. So it was kind of terrifying, but it was exciting at the same time. But it quickly passed away. It quickly passed to that bright day quickly turned to dusk. The day went away and then it turned into the darkest nightmare of my life. The darkest night that I've ever, I, I couldn't even imagine at that point, And it was terrifying to me. So in the beginning, I used to dwell. I used to dwell on that dark night a lot. I wrestled with the shame of my denial a lot in the first few years after Jesus ascended. After he ascended, I wrestled with it. I was shamed. I was, I was shamed still. I couldn't let it go. But more and more, over decades of witness, Jesus healing me and healing everyone around me, of God's grace and peace that was multiplied in me and that I want to be multiplied in you, the glory of that bright day and the glory of that dark night, it began to dawn, it began to come together in my soul. Well, as I face my impending crucifixion, coming pretty soon, I think I finally get it. This is how he writes to his beloved. The majestic glory God the Father told his son on that mountain, you are my beloved son, listen to me, listen to him, 
listen to him. And he told us to listen to my son, and I was stubborn, but now I'm finally listening. Finally listening. He's been saying the same thing to me over and over again for decades. You, Peter, are my beloved son. You, Chris, are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. It's very personal. And now, I know it sounds crazy, but now I believe him. I think I believe him. I actually believe that I'm beloved. So much so that I'm not even afraid to die. That's crazy. I deny Jesus. I'm not even afraid to die right now because he really loves me and I actually believe it. He loves me because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So even if they crucify me upside down like a lamp in a dark night, I'm going to shine. I'm going to shine. Remember this. I want to stir you up. I want to stir you up, not so that you revolt, not so that you run in there and try to save me from death. I want to remind you of the glory of Jesus. And even more than that, and I know this sounds a little bit crazy, and it still sounds crazy to me, and I hope it sounds crazy to you, Jesus is going to make you and he's going to make me like him. He's going to make me and you like him. We will partake in his glory. We'll become like him. We're going to shine like stars in the sky. Talk about transfiguration. We're going to participate in his divine nature. Blow your mind. He's going to richly provide this for you in the future. This is our hope. This is our aim. As you enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you don't have to be ashamed anymore. He's going to, he's going to accomplish this for you. You're going to shine. That's going to be great someday. But listen to me, beloved. Listen with all sincerity. I want to remind you and stir you stir you up, not just for that future glory, not for what's going to happen fully someday. It's breaking in right now. It can happen. I promise. It happened to me. It can happen to you. I know that sounds crazy. Trust me. Trust me. If, if, if my calling is sure, if that guy can be called and it can be sure, your calling and your election are sure, he will accomplish what he started. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And all of this he will grant to you, but not only into, in the future, it's breaking in right now. How? How is it breaking in right now? It's kind of surprising. If it's sure... And God is the one who grants it. And God who is the one who calls us. And the God, God is the one who elects us. And God is the one who causes us to participate in his glory. If he's doing all this, how do we participate in it? Effort, Peter says. Does that sound contradictory to you? It's not. Every day, Peter says, putting off the corruption 
of your sinful desires every single day, and it takes a long time. Trust me. I lived in shame for a long time. In the beginning of my ministry, I did some really stupid stuff. Go read Paul's letters. But he kept bringing me back. God never let me go. He kept healing me. I'm about to stretch out my arms and die. And here's what I know. Here's what I know without a shadow of a doubt. Jesus, our glorious King, He is sovereign and He rules and reigns. And because of this, because of this, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And your virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-mastery. You don't have to be dominated by your desires. You can master that. You don't have to be enslaved to that anymore. And with mastery, with self-mastery, be steadfast. And let your steadfastness then turn into godliness. You, you, as you put in the effort, you can become a partaker even right now of his divine nature. Godliness. Be godly. Act like it. And with godliness, brotherly affection. And with brotherly affection, at the very end of it all, as I sit here awaiting my execution at the end of my life, love. It's the end. Love is the end. Make every effort to supplement your trust in Jesus every day, your faith in Jesus and what he does that is sure on your behalf, but we enter into it, we participate in it, make every effort to supplement your trust in Jesus with all of these things. I didn't get it at the beginning and neither will you. Like me, Peter says, start small. Start with faith. Start with a tiny little mustard seed. I can't believe that that's true for me. Start there. Start there and make the effort. But make it. Make every effort to increase in these qualities. It will pay off. I know. It's sure. Don't lose sight of the goal. Don't forget the glory that is set before you. Pay attention. I'm writing to you. I'm to remind you of these things over and over again like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts even as it's beginning to rise in mine. All of this, Christian, is richly provided for you. So come and believe. Even if it's a small little belief, come and trust and believe this morning. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.